really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Um, so kids, there will be activity packs in a minute. We're going to play uh, a little video from Kerry. She's on holiday this week, so um, don't disturb her. Let her have her holiday. Uh, but she's recorded a little video. So let's, let's play Kerry's video and then we'll, we'll pray. Hi, everyone. So your activity packs for this week. David's going to be talking about the fact that God can't be contained. And there was a man in the Bible called Jabez. And Jabez, all his life, had been called pain because that's what Jabez means and so he was really blessed by God because God actually saw him for what he was and so uh, renamed him redefined him and so Jabez had some prayers that basically said take me beyond my limits God and that's what we're thinking about today so on your activity sheets you've got some codes to decipher and that will tell you a little bit about what his prayers said and then you've got a colouring sheet for uh, one of the Bible readings that David's going to be talking about. Listen to David and see if you can spot the Bible reading. And then you've got a piece of paper. And what I want you to do is to put your hand on the piece of paper and draw around it. You can see it says, enlarge my territory, because that's what Jabez asked God to do. Draw around your hand. Make sure that your thumb is meeting the corner of the paper where it's folded. And then it opens up and inside you can do some prayers, either write or draw some prayers. But remember that God is absolutely, um, it's inconceivable what God can do for us. So think about those prayers carefully and do some big prayers. So enjoy and I'll see you soon. Okay, so I want to put up a, a little prayer. We'll give the pack, activity packs out in a couple of minutes once we're into the flow of the message. But I want to put a prayer on screen. I, I, I want us to say it together, but I want us to pause and, and make this our own prayer. Because I think when we come to God's word, uh, we want him to shape us. We want him to do something in our life. So let's say this together, and then we'll pause before I launch in. Holy Spirit, be my teacher today. As we dive into the Bible today, would you awaken my heart, expand my mind, and shape my identity today? In Jesus' name. So just pause and just close your eyes for a moment. We love the expressive worship and the dynamic, but there's also times where it's right to still our hearts. And just think about those three concepts where you're coming to God and you're saying to God, Lord, would you awaken my heart? Would you expand my mind? Would you shape my identity? Just make those your prayers, your intentions today. Awaken my heart, expand my mind, shape my identity. Lord, we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a regular here, you will, will know that we like having a bit of fun in new life. The Bible actually says that Jesus was full of joy and the Holy Spirit. So they are 
together. They're meant to be together. And one of the things that you may have noticed if you've been here for a while, some of Bill's t-shirts are quite funny. Bill, why don't you come forward? He, he scars the internet when he can't sleep. And he usually comes up with some, and it kind of fits in with his dry wit, doesn't it? Those of you, it, it, it kind of, this is one that I felt really fitted in very well with our message today. And if, for those of you who can't read it, it says, here I am, what are your other two wishes? And, <laughs> and there's a genius. Bill, I, I, I'm really quite worried if I rub your tummy, what's going to happen? Um, don't ask. But I have to be honest, I think it fits in very well with our message because that may be the definition of futile thinking. Uh, Thank you, Bill. Thank you for being a good sport. And when we think about it, it's it's what we're talking about today, the fact that God is an incomprehensible God. How can we fully understand who all God is? We, we can't. And so it's a definition of futile thinking. But I, I came across a couple of funnies that, that I thought you might like. And kids, there's a bar of chocolate for some right answers in this. So you, you want to listen for a couple of minutes. Futility is like leaping off a cliff and trying to knit yourself a parachute on the way down. <laughs> not going to do that, are you? But who, who here is a Minion fan? Any Minion fans? We love the minions, don't we? It looks like it's just me and you, Amelia. So a bar of chocolate may come your way, but we'll see. Well, you have to get the answers right. So here's some that I thought. I've been hiding from exercise. I'm in the fitness protection program. Next one, Bethany. Research has shown that laughing for two minutes is just as healthy as a 20-minute jog. So now I'm sitting in the park laughing at all the joggers. Exercise? I thought you said extra fries. (laughs) Now, here's the bonus question worth a bar of chocolate. Who are the, the, what are the names of the three main minions? No, you can't Google. That's cheating. We're in church, Musa. Okay, I'll just have to have that myself later. Sorry about that. The right answer is Kevin, Stuart, and Bob. No, no, sorry. Send an email to idontcare.com and I'll follow up on it. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get a response. You know, we've been looking over the last few weeks, this, this series about God is. And the constant danger, I think, for, for many of us is that we have made God too small. We make God too small. We fit him into our thinking. We fit him into our, our understanding. We fit him into our, our comprehension. And actually, Paul says in Ephesians four seventeen that that leads us to futile thinking or, or confused thinking. There's a lot of confused thinking in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of confused thinking about God, about identity, about how that should be expressed. In 1 Corinthians 2.14 and then in Colossians 2.18, he talks about a thinking that is, that is deceptive and it's hollow. Because we often try and fit things into our box and our understanding. And, and there's a lot of stuff in life that we don't understand, but we've learned to accept. Many of you don't know how, how your car works. <laughs> Many of you don't know how electricity works. Many of you don't know how your computer works. 
But it doesn't stop you making good use of those things. God is. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at a few kind of ideas. We've looked at God as being the eternal God. God is an eternal God. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. The Bible says he is from everlasting to everlasting. We've looked at the fact that God is an omnipotent God. He's, that means he's all powerful. We've looked at the fact that God is an, an unchanging God. He's not like a shifting shadow. He's, he's dependable. He's reliable. Today we're going to look at this idea of God as the incomprehensible God. Maybe Rose and Carol would give out the activity packs to the kids. We can't fully comprehend all that God is. The Bible says that there's a mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16. There's a mystery about God, a mystery about godliness. And so, some of the scriptures that I think are really helpful to us in understanding this. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says that the secret things belong to God. There's stuff that we simply don't know. We can never understand. Can you understand how the galaxies were formed? And, and so much that they're finding more and more about the galaxies. Just even consider the human brain. They really don't know how the human brain works. God says the secret things belong to him. The whole verse says this. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. See, it's not what we don't know that trips us up. It's hard enough to do what we do know. <laughs> so Paul says, Philippians 2.13, do everything without complaining and arguing. Children, are you listening? Do everything without complaining and arguing. That's easy to understand. It's just not always easy to do. But what God has revealed to us, he said he's revealed to us so that we might obey all the terms of these instructions. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 are some of the most familiar verses. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God has different ways of working than sometimes we do in ways that we don't understand. Psalm 145 verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you never heard, have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak, he never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. We cannot fully measure God. We cannot fully comprehend God. But that doesn't mean we can't know God at all. Because scripture has revealed some things about him. And I want to unpack two simple things for us today. We can know the incomprehensible God through his character. See, that's how we get to know people, isn't it? Through their character and through their nature. And that's why we're doing this whole series of who God is. Last week, one of the verses we talked about from the Psalms was that God revealed his, his ways to the children of Israel, but his character to Moses. Moses had an intimate relationship and he knew something of the character and nature of God. And we see that in the book of Exodus. Exodus 33, if you want to turn there. And this is a famous story where Moses has to come and pray for the people of Israel because guess what? 
they're grumbling again. <laughs> they're complaining again. They're not happy. They said, oh, it was much better when we were back in Egypt as slaves. At least there we had garlic. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm partial to a bit of garlic bread. But would you go back into slavery? For your garlic bread? I don't think so. It's crazy. And Moses has to come and intercede. And God says, do you know what, Moses? I can start again with you. I know what these people are like. I've got to listen to them too. And Moses says, no, don't do that. You know, the key will be if your presence goes with us. If your presence goes with us, then we'll be fine. And God says, do you know what? I'll send my presence with you. And then he comes in verse 19. And these are the words of the Lord. So so often he said, my presence will go with you. And I'll show you my favor, your your, your glorious presence. Moses, verse 18, Moses responded, show me your glorious presence. And so often when we think of that, and I've traveled to different nations and heard people jump up and down and shout and scream and do all those very enthusiastic things, and they talk about the glory of God. And what they often mean by that is is the healings and the miracles and the, the dramatic things that happens in people's life. And certainly that's true in Scripture, and that's what happened with Moses as well. He saw some dramatic things. But it's interesting that when God replies, it's not the dramatic things that he, he talks about. It's actually his character and his nature that reveals his glorious presence. Look at verse 19. The Lord is speaking. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I chose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face. For no one may see me and live. Isn't it incredible? The three words that God uses to talk about his glorious presence are goodness, mercy, and compassion. Not wonderful external acts, but something of the character and nature of God. And that's exactly what Psalm 3 talks about, isn't it? My old pastor used to say that they were the guard dogs, the sheep dogs. Goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, will follow me. See, God's nature and God's character, he's unchanging. And so his glorious presence and what we can know about him is revealed in his glory. Goodness, mercy, and compassion. That's what he speaks over your life. That's what he reveals in your life. You have breath today. That's God's goodness. You're alive today. That's God's mercy. God's compassion for you, as far as the east is from the west, So far as he removed our sins from us. God is a God of goodness, mercy, and compassion. And we need to experience that and see that as as his nature. And really get the gifts. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that you might have the spirit of revelation that you might know him better. Not that you might know all mysteries. In fact, Paul says, if you don't have the experience of love, 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have the experience of love, then it doesn't matter if you can fathom all mysteries. It doesn't matter if you can do great prophecies. It doesn't matter. God wants us to know him in his glorious presence and his glorious presence is revealed in his character and his nature. That we can know. That we can be confident about. But let's, let's be honest, 
in all of our lives, there is a big question of why. The big question of, of, of why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow pain? Why does God take me through these things when we would rather go the other way? I'm not going to develop this into a full message, but let me say a couple of things about it. I think one of the things that God is doing in our suffering and in our pain is he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention. If you want to read more into this, I can recommend C.S. Lewis. He happens to be Irish, but that's just... Just good. He talks about a grief observed. He lost his wife to cancer and he found himself really in a dark and deep place and he he found that he had to wrestle through with what he knew about God's character in the dark place. He also talks about the problem of pain because it doesn't go away, does it? It, It's life, it's, it's reality. That's what we have to face. So let's not pretend, let's not stuff it down, let's not... Think, oh, well, if, if God's so good, then it's all the time good things are going to happen to me. God's good all the time, but not all things that happen to us are good. Yeah. We live in the reality of life. I love Proverbs 20, verse 30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Do you know sometimes until the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same, will not change. We, we need to change, but sometimes it takes pain to motivate us to, that, to do that change. Sometimes our thinking even about God is wrong and God has to come in and change our thinking so that it's not futile, so that it's not of kilter so that it's not wrong. He has to come in and sometimes pain will get our attention. It's not until you get to the end of yourself that you get to the beginning of God. But so often we want to manage on our own, don't we? We want to tell God, I'll do it my way. (laughs) You know, if I need you, (laughs) I'll, I'll call on you. But basically I want to do it my way. And that's how we can live even our Christian life. In October, we're going to do, beginning of September, we're going to start a series called Life's Healing Choices. Should be a slide. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, we'll be starting that Sunday, September the 10th. And we'll be working through Matthew 5, 1 to 11. It's the Beatitudes. It's all those things. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think we've misunderstood a lot of that. And I want us to walk through that journey Because we can make healing choices. Even where we face pain. Even where we face suffering. Even where we face difficulty. If our thinking and our attitude is right. God can walk us through those circumstances. But in the meantime. How can we respond? I think scripture gives us some framework. To how we can respond. Even in times of pain. Even in times of suffering. Habakkuk chapter 3 Verses 17 and 18 says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, though there's no cattle in the field, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. The prophet knew what it was like to face barren times. And in an agricultural society, dependent on crops, dependent on the flocks, he had got to the place where even though, 
Even though he made a choice, yet I will rejoice. Through the pain, through the difficulties, through the circumstances, the prophet had got to the place where he says, yet I will rejoice. Maybe that's why Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that will confess his name. Job, he knew a little bit about suffering, didn't he? Calamity and disaster faced him when one day he lost his business, his family, and then all his friends came and, and tried to correct him. And actually, they got it wrong about God. But one of the things that Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's an incredible statement for Job to make. Not after the suffering, not after He'd been blessed again. But in the middle of it, he chose to trust in God. He put his confidence and trust in God. Why? Because the circumstances were good? No. Because he knew the character and nature of God. He had had that intimate relationship with God. In fact, Job, God says about Job, when he rebukes all Job's comforters, he said, you know nothing about me, but this man has integrity of heart and he knows me. That's what saw Job through. Kerry mentioned it earlier. Some of you may have read the book many years ago that came out on these verses. First Chronicles verses 4, 9, and 10. This guy called Jabez literally means pain. Imagine walking around and your mother calling you, Hey, pain, come here. Pain, come here. All of his life he was known as pain. What a reputation to have. Now, I know there's some difficult people. I'm not going to look at anyone. I know there's some difficult people around, but I don't think I generally call people a pain in the backside, do I, Bev? No. But this guy was called pain. His mother gave birth to him in pain. She called him pain. All of his life, he was identified with pain. But something in his heart was different. And God comes and says about him, he was more honorable than all of his brothers. Because even though life had defined him by pain, even though his family had defined him by pain, even though circumstances defined him by pain, he didn't live with that knowledge. Bible says and records that he was more honorable than all his brothers because he came to God and said, oh, that you would bless me that you would enlarge my territory and keep me from being a pain. That's what he said. Keep me from being a pain. Keep me from being identified with pain in, in my life. Your identity is not your pain. It's not. Stop living there. Stop living in your pain. Stop living in those moments. The character and nature of God is goodness, mercy, and compassion towards you. You don't have to live in the pain. God can redefine you by your pursuit of him. Isn't that good news? Doesn't matter what you've experienced. Doesn't matter what you're currently gone through. God can redefine you differently. If you have a heart to say, Lord, would you bless me? Would you enlarge my territory? Would you stop this pain? Stop me from being a pain? I think that's an honorable prayer. Secondly, we can know the incomprehensible God through humility. We need to be humble. Because really we, we, we don't know everything. Have you ever been convinced you were absolutely right about something? 
<laughs> a lot of women are nodding their heads. <laughs> I'm assuming you're not doing that for your men. Because <laughs> that's a whole different conversation there. You've been absolutely convinced you were right. And somebody pointed out you were wrong. You just added something up wrong. You saw something wrong. You got it wrong. And it's kind of like, okay, time to eat some humble pie. Eat humble pie while it's warm, Sophie. It goes down quicker. You see, we need humility when it comes to God. Why you? Because we love you so much. And you're smiling at me. And you're responding so well to the message. We need humility. Job himself again said it. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It's broader than the earth and wider than the sea. Listen, you're not going to discover everything. You're not going to have the answers to everything. You're never going to get to the end of God and solve the mystery of God. So why don't we just humble ourselves? Both Peter and James say almost identical things. And I, I wonder, was it born out of their experience? I wonder, was it born out of the times they saw Jesus deal with people like a Matthew 18 that we'll look at in a minute? But they both come and they say, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he, God will come close to you. Peter said, God gives grace to the humble so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. See, if we try and exalt ourselves, if we try and make ourselves proud, then do you know what? We're going to fall flat on our faces, aren't we? Pride, they say in Proverbs, comes before a fall. If we think we stand, be careful lest we fall. So we need that humility because we're not God. You're not God. We don't know everything. We don't know the outcome. We don't know all the circumstances. We don't know all the answers. And we never will have all the answers to why. But we can still humble ourselves before God in that. And Jesus had to take a little child. Jesus called a little child to him. And put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will not get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were repeatedly arguing, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Well, I can fish better than you. I can count the money better than you. I've done more miracles than you. I've healed more people. People like me more than you. I'm nicer than you. I, whatever the arguments were amongst the disciples, they were constantly arguing about who was the greatest. So Jesus comes and plunks a little child amongst them and said, unless you become like this little child. Now, it's, he is not advocating child child. Ishness. There's enough of that around, isn't there? There's enough people who throw their dummy out of the pram when they don't get what they want. He's not advocating we become childish in our behavior, but childlike because it's about teachable, teachable humility. Teachable humility. If you want to grow in your Christian life, you need to be teachable. That's the truth. And you won't be teachable unless you're humble. 
Do you know what? I, I meet people who, no matter what I say to them, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Have you ever met people like that? No matter what you say to them, it could be about any subject. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Do you know what? what with those people, I don't even try and have a conversation anymore. I don't talk to them because if they already know any, everything, what's the point of me talking to them? We need humility. But humility should lead to obedience. <laughs> humility should lead to obedience because God has given his, revel- his revelation to us not for curiosity, but for obedience. It's what we read earlier in Deuteronomy 29, 29, so that you might obey these instructions. And this is the problem I have with people who are caught up on the end times. Have you met those people? Everything is about the end times and when's the tribulation and when's this going to happen and we've had another signs and you know I, I grew up on all of that stuff. I grew up in the movies where Jesus was coming back next week <laughs> where, where when the, the EU got to 10 nations, some of you remember that, then that was the 10 toes of Daniel and we had wall charts as big as that wall and they walked us through all of that and it was a, an obsession with the end times. But when the Bible talks about it at the end times, do you know what it always talks about? What kind of people ought you to be? That's what it talks about. This is the kind of people you ought to be. And Peter says it directly. You ought to be holy people because Jesus is coming back. Not obsessed with the details. Not curious so that you go, yeah, I I know. I have the insight. I have the knowledge. I've seen them on YouTube. (laughs) They think they know everything. They must know more than Jesus. Because I've heard people say they know exactly when Jesus is coming back. It's like, well, that's interesting. Because the Bible says Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. And so the revelation of God, when God reveals something to us, it's not for curiosity. It's for obedience. And the problem with some of you is that God is bringing you back to your last place of obedience. You never get beyond your obedience. I'm sorry. You may avoid it. You may go round in circles again. But God will bring you back to your last point of obedience before him. You will never get past your last point of obedience. God has given his revelation for obedience. But obedience isn't always easy, is it? It can be hard. It may not be complicated sometimes, but it can be hard. The prophet Micah found that out because God wasn't impressed with the worship. Do you know that? Sometimes God isn't impressed with our worship because it's just songs. It's just words. We're just going through the motions. Sometimes God isn't impressed with that. In fact, one time he said through one of the prophets, away with your noise. It was just noise to him because it wasn't from the heart. There was no integrity in it. It wasn't out of obedience. And he comes through the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, and says, Do you know what obedience is like? Do justice, love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly. Do you know what? For a lot of people, their Christian life would be a lot more solid if they did those three things. If they did justice, If they loved kindness, if they walked humbly before God. You know, I've dealt 
with enough pain in my own life. I've dealt with enough pain in people's lives to know that sometimes there aren't quick fixes. Sometimes God is incomprehensible. Sometimes he does stuff that we, we will never see this side of eternity. But we have to come to that place of God, you're good. God, you're merciful. God, you're compassionate. God, you're kind. God, you're loving. How do you do that? Honestly, the only way that you can ever do that is to get alone by yourself with God. It's not going to happen in church primarily. It's not going to happen primarily when you engage with others. The way that you will get that breakthrough that you need into understanding who God is, is alone with God for yourself. Because you can't delegate your breakthrough to me. You know that? The breakthrough that you need, the breakthrough that you want, you can't delegate that to me. You have to get alone with God. And if you're struggling with pain, if you're suffering, if there's things that are unresolved in your life and you're disappointed with God and you're keeping them at arm's length because of that, you are going to have to wrestle through that with God on your hands and knees. Jesus did. Remember remember the garden? Lord, if there's any other way. Jesus prayed, if there's any other way than the way of the cross. But he came to the point, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We have to get to that point. Jesus had no one else around him. In fact, the the scripture says that Jesus went a little further. Some of you folks are going to have to go a little further. It's not going to be in the crowd you're going to get your breakthrough. It's not going to be in a Sunday service you're going to get your breakthrough. It's going to be when you're alone with God and something changes in your heart. When something of that spirit of revelation comes and you can say, God is good. Not because you have to, but because you're alone with God and you've got the revelation in it in your heart. Get alone with God, folks. Get on your hands and knees. Get at his feet and ask him to do what only he can do. To bring hope, healing, and restoration in your life. God doesn't always do things that we understand. God doesn't always do things that we like. But he's always God. (laughs) He's always God. And he's always good. Someone showed me a little video clip this week that we're going to show you. It's about five minutes long. It's a lady called Hope Darst. And she talks about a dark time in her experience. And she has a couple of songs on, on YouTube as well. A bit more country and western than, than Bev likes, but I liked it. But she, in this video, she's going to tell a little bit of her testimony about a dark time. And I, I wanted to encourage you, and we're going to come back and read something of Scripture together. And finish pretty shortly, but let's listen to Hope sharing her story. I just remember feeling like the Lord just whispered into my heart, Hope, you're saved. You love me. You are completely committed to me, but you are not free. And I didn't come just to save you. I came to set you free. You know, I wish I could say the lowest points in my life was like one time, but it hasn't been just one time. It's been several times that I found myself like in a real dark pit, emotionally and mentally. 
And I think the first really significant time was in my 30s. I was, I just had my second baby. Um, my parents had just gone through a, just a brutally painful divorce. I'd been on staff at a church for 10 years, serving the Lord at that point for, you know, a good 12 years faithfully. And I was doing all the things that you're supposed to do. I was going to church. I was tithing. I was loving my neighbor. I was serving. I was a, a, a faithful wife, still a faithful wife. I was doing all the things that you're supposed to do, keeping all the roles. And yet, internally, I was just riddled with so much anger and, and what I said before, insecurity and fear and hopelessness and feeling unworthy and feeling like I was never gonna actually be better, if that makes any sense. Like I just so desperately wanted to be better at, at anything and everything. And it's funny, you don't plan your breakdown. You don't prepare for it. You don't, you know, mark it on the calendar. This is the day that I'm going to fall apart. This is the day that God's going to meet me. It just happens and you never know what's going to trigger it. And for me, it was such a simple trigger. It wasn't even anything remarkable. It was just disappointing a friend. And suddenly it was like it was the final straw that just broke the camel's back and I unraveled. And I remember I went into such a dark place. I didn't get out of my bed for three days. I didn't talk. I didn't eat. I wasn't taking care of my kids. My husband was so worried. And I remember him coming in and he just said, oh, like, I think we have to check you into a hospital. He's like, I, I don't know how to help you. I don't think you know how to help yourself. And I remember laying in my bed and thinking, what? What has gotten me here? Like, how does just such a simple moment lead to such devastating results? And wanting to just rewind, like just go to three days before and start over and figure out like how to not get to that place. But the thing is, I didn't get there in three days. I'd gotten there over 30 plus years of just stuffing and ignoring and not believing that God actually could be my healer and bring freedom and I'll never forget it was just honestly the grace of God I got out of the bed and I laid on my carpet floor and I just I don't think I wept I don't think I was just silent I just laid on that carpet and I thought I'm not going to move here until God speaks to me and that was the moment when God said you're safe, but you're not free. And if you will let me into this journey, I'm going to walk out a path of freedom for you. And I found that being on the floor at Jesus's feet was the hardest and the scariest place to be. But it's the only place I found freedom. It's the only place I found healing. It's the only place that I found redemption. I think that there is nothing greater than the moment when you realize you just cannot heal yourself and that you don't have to figure it out by yourself and that you can reach out to God and people and say, I don't know how to fix this. 
we don't leave enough room for people to just say, I need help. I don't know how to hurdle this. I don't know how to get over this mountain and not shaming them with a sense of, you don't have enough faith. You haven't prayed enough prayers. You haven't done enough freedom weekends or enough Bible studies or insert blank. And I just want to speak to that person right now. God doesn't need you to do anything else to get better except just get at His feet and ask Him to do the thing that He and only He can do, which is bring healing and hope and peace and restoration to the deepest, most broken parts of your heart and your soul. Because I have, I have experienced Him do that in my life. Do you know what? She uses a phrase about being on the carpet and one of my friends used to talk about doing carpet time. Just on your face before God, alone with him. Some of you need to do that. Some of you will not get the answers unless you do it. We wanna encourage you to be in that right place with God. Do we have Romans 11 on screen, yeah? Do we have those verses? Okay. I'm gonna read it from, from my Bible. There's some stuff that happens in our life that, do you know what? It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. We may never get the answers, but we can come back to God. We should come back to God. Romans 11 Verse 33 to 36. And the worship team are going to come and lead us in a final song. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's going to be on screen. Let's read it together. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to know his decision and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Father, we come and we bring ourselves to you. Lord, at times we live with the fact that you are this incomprehensible God. There's ways in which you act that we don't like and would rather not know. But Father, we thank you that there is hope. Hope because of your character. Hope because of your nature. Hope because you long for us not just to be saved, not just to know salvation and forgiveness, but to be free and live in freedom. Lord, as we respond to you this morning, as we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, help us to encounter you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless. God bless.